The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hi, everyone. I am Elaine Welteroth, a journalist, an author, producer, but more importantly, for today's purposes, like our special guest here, I am a strong believer in the visionary power of women. And that is why I am so excited to be in conversation today with someone who is doing incredible trailblazing work. Her name is Katrina Lake. And if you're not familiar, her radical data driven approach to selling clothes has completely disrupted the retail model by combining data science with technology and personal stylists. Today, Katrina Lake's online personal styling company, Stitch Fix, has taken a multi-billion dollar slice of the $368 billion U.S. apparel industry, but she is just getting started. Stitch Fix is equally concerned with social impact and using their influence for positive change, which is why I'm particularly inspired by her approach, which we will all hear more about soon. After experiencing her own personal challenges firsthand as a female entrepreneur struggling to fundraise in a male-dominated VC landscape, Katrina has really prioritized diversity for Stitch Fix from the start. They recently pledged to use resources, influence, and data to create real systemic change as part of their long-term work on social justice and diversity, equity, inclusion, and sustainability efforts. Most recently this year, they launched a new grant and mentorship program called Elevate, which will help to grow, mentor, and support underrepresented entrepreneurs in a bid to help bring much needed diversity into the apparel ecosystem. 
Stitch Fix also publicly shared their longstanding commitment to pay equity, which they analyzed through the lens of race in addition to gender. I am so excited to dive into these initiatives uh, and so much more with the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix, Katrina Lake. Welcome, Katrina. Thank you for How are you feeling? Me. I'm good, all things considered. I mean, in the year 2020, you know, as good as I can be. Right? We all need that that qualifier when we're answering the question of how are you doing? Because, you know, we're all experiencing the same storms together. We're, we're not in the same boats, but we're definitely experiencing the same storm. So glad- It will be so memorable. It's like, what a crazy global shared experience that like, right. you know, in a few years you could be traveling and, you know, it would be like this great shared experience of anybody from any country of like, oh, what was your COVID experience like? So at the end of this, I think we'll feel stronger. <laughs> We'll be telling our kids and our grandkids and hopefully our great grandkids about this time for years to come. I mean, it is such a pivotal, historic season that we're all living through. Um, And, you know, there have been some high highs and some low lows. The concept of time, I don't know about for you, but the concept of time has like completely been obliterated. Like, I don't know what day it is. I'm like, it's, it's like, it feels like March 568, you know, it's just like per <laughs> month. <laughs> so good. So we have so much to talk about. I want to dive right in. I want you to take us back to the very beginning because your story is such a great example of how to disrupt a sleepy giant. So talk about the beginning of your journey before you took on the $368 billion apparel industry from what I understand, you didn't even know if entrepreneurship was in your future. So talk to us a little bit about what made you fall in love with the retail space to begin with and what your path was to founding Stitch Fix. There's a little bit of like, you can't be it if you can't see it, I think that I relate to because I like I didn't grow up thinking I'd be an entrepreneur. Like I never imagined that path for myself, um, but I really fell in love with this space. And I really fell in love with the idea that like, apparel is such an important way that we express ourselves and such an important part of who we are. And it's a huge industry to your point. People spend lots and lots of money in this space. And yet it's like, it's so hard to navigate. It's like, you know, I'm five foot two, like there's all kinds of beautiful clothes on this planet that are just never going to be right for me because of my height. And there is so much creativity and artistry and just like, there's so much beauty in apparel and there are people who really appreciate that beauty. And then there's other people it's not for. And there's like just this notion of matchmaking of just like, there's so much amazing product on the planet, but how do you know what's right for you? It's such a challenging problem to solve. And it's kind of a never ending problem. Like, I feel like we've been working on it for 10 years and we're amazing at it. And our stylists are great and our algorithms are great, but still there's so much more that we can be doing better. And so it's just this like super interesting, exciting problem. And, you know, as I kind of dug in more and more and learned about the space and what people are doing and what could be possible. Like I looked around and I saw a lot of other sleepy industries, you know, being disrupted of transportation and hotels and felt like, I mean, why not apparel? Like this is such a hard, interesting, meaty problem. And, and so really like my path to becoming an entrepreneur was a little bit by process of elimination where I didn't find another company that I wanted to work for and where I I felt like more innovation could happen than what I saw out there. And so, you know, the epiphany of like, well, I guess if I believe this is possible, I can start it myself was, you know, it came a little bit later in the game probably for me, but I feel really fortunate that I was able to see that and um, to be able to kind of put myself on that path. 
And if you can just distill, what was the problem that you were seeking to solve with Stitch Fix? It's really this like matchmaking problem of like, there's um, how do you know of the millions of pairs of jeans on this planet, which ones are right for you? How do you know if, if you want to be like embracing the bohemian trend, like, like that can take so many different forms and like, which one is really right for you and your occasion and your lifestyle. And um, there's so much nuance to personal style, but there's actually a lot of like data to that too. And so, you know, I think they're just really like, there has to be a better way of helping people to find things that they love. Tell us a little bit about your background before founding Stitch Fix. Like, did you come from the fashion industry or are you more of a business person by training? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I really was like, none of the above really and like mm -hmm. totally unqualified to start a business and like I say that because I think there are so many people out there who have amazing grit and ambition and feel like they don't have the resume for it and like and yes I went to business school I went to great schools and that is a privilege that definitely helped me quite a bit but the reality was like I had worked in a banana republic like that was the extent of my retail experience and I really came from it more from the perspective of somebody who is an end consumer and and believe there could be another way and so you know data science is a really big part of our business. It's a big part of our differentiation. Like, you know, I, I really liked math, but I certainly wasn't a data scientist. I definitely was not an engineer that could write code. But, you know, I think I was just this person who imagined there could be a better way. And with a strong vision, you can really build that team around you. And, and so, you know, I joke, I mean, this is true. Like I really had not managed anybody before I started Stitch Fix. And mm -hmm. Mike Smith, who had been the CEO of walmart.com and he had managed you know, thousands of people and millions of square feet of warehouse space. Like, you know, he taught me how to be a manager and he was reporting to me. Like he was one of my, the first people that I ever managed. And so, you know, there was so much of this that I learned on the job and, mm. um, and there's so much of like, you know, the idea of being a CEO that I was totally unqualified for when I started this, but, you know, I, I was lucky to surround myself with great people that I learned from and that helped me to kind of forge that path for myself. Hey, Work Party listeners, let's take a pause from today's episode to get candid about everyone's favorite TMI topic, birth control. I've primarily experimented with hormonal options, and to be honest, my experience has been less than positive. Hormonal birth control is just not for me. So I devoted a few years to testing out different brands and methods, but I realized there's a serious lack of hormone-free prescription options out there. Women deserve more when it comes to birth control. Over the last two decades, there have been very few advancements in women's birth control options until now. I'm so excited to let you know there is a new hormone-free birth control option that's FDA approved and available now. It's called Fexi, and it's a combination of lactic acid, citric acid, and potassium by tartrate. Fexi is a first-of-its-kind hormone-free, female-controlled, on-demand prescription birth control vaginal gel. It works by maintaining the vagina's pH level to prevent pregnancy. Fexi comes in a small applicator, kind of like a tampon, and it is so easy to use. You have to remember that it's only effective when used before sex and must be applied again before each act of vaginal sex. Luckily, it works immediately and can be used on demand up to an hour before sex. So go ahead and add it to your pre-sex routine. Remember, one dose, one hour, one act. The best part is you can get a prescription for Fexi and get it delivered right to your door without leaving your home office or taking tons of time out of your busy day. 
we get our groceries and our dry cleaning delivered. Why not our birth control too? You can always go through your own doctor and set an appointment with them. Or the Fexi website can connect you directly to a telehealth platform where you can talk to a doctor. And if Fexi is right for you, you can get a prescription seamlessly and rapidly without having to wait for an appointment. While Fexi could be a great option for many women, it isn't right for everyone. Like those with a history of repeated urinary tract infections. And as with any new birth control, be sure to check for any ingredient in Fexi you or your partner may be allergic to. Additionally, Fexi doesn't protect against STIs. Fexi gives us contraceptive control on our terms. That's why I'm so excited. It's one more option to empower women when it comes to contraceptive and reproductive choices. To learn more about Fexi, ask your healthcare provider to see if you are a good candidate and visit Fexi.com for complete product information and to get a prescription directly from a telehealth platform. That's P-H-E-X-X-I.com. You know, you mentioned one thing that I think is really important for any aspiring boss or, you know, manager is making sure that you're hiring for your blind spots. And so I'm curious as someone who felt like, you know, you didn't really even have the resume or the credentials to stand up this business. How are you able to attract someone from a walmart.com, a giant to come work for you and believe in your vision at such an early stage? I mean, it's a great question. And I mean, I, I joke to Mike, I'm like, what were you thinking when you did that so long ago? Um, <laughs> and I, and honestly, like, I think, you know, some of it is like, I'm really grateful for like, my I don't, is ignorance the right word like I just had this like really um naivete. Like naive yeah it's like naivete exactly like I didn't know people who'd been super successful in business like I had such a naivete about it that like I was super open to the idea that I would learn from people and so you know I think when you know so little you know that you know little. And so that actually helps because it means that like, I'm not trying to micromanage people. I'm not trying to tell people how how to do their job. Like I want really smart people to learn, to work with me that I can learn from. And, you know, I joke about like, this is really true. Like I really didn't have much of a network. And so when I was starting to hire for people, like I used LinkedIn as being like the yellow pages or whatever, you know? Like I would go and like, look at people and be like, wow, like this person looks amazing. And then I would reach out to them and they would actually often write back. And even today I still use LinkedIn that way. And so I think just really having the humility of wanting to learn from others and having the self-awareness of like, Hey, this is really what I bring to the table. And these are all the things that like also need to be brought to the table that are not going to be from me and like to be embracing of that and excited and and have that humility, I think is important in building a team. But don't discount yourself. You must have had a really tight elevator pitch for <laughs> really being able to pitch your vision for this company. And it's very clear that you were successful in, you know, securing a decent amount of VC funding. So I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, beyond the, the pitch, which was clearly tight, and we want to learn more about how, how folks listening can can um, learn from you in that regard. But I, I want to hear about the challenges that you had along the, the, the fundraising trail and, and why you think there is such a glaring inequality in how VC money is invested. And now that you sort of are on the other side of this, how can we get more money into the hands of the women who need it most? Women like you who have these great ideas that can wake up other sleeping giants, but just need to be given the tools and the resources to be able to realize those, those dreams. 
I mean, I really think this is like the number one challenge of our generation is like, how can we have better representation amongst leaders, amongst people who are decision makers, amongst the people who are, you know, deciding what our laws and policies are, but also of who are deciding like what, who are kind of creating company cultures and who are um, deciding which industries get disrupted and in what way and using what perspectives. And I naively thought the world was more equal, I think, when I when I mm. first started the business. And and I really like, you know, I'm ashamed. I look back in college and I was never part of like women's groups. And like, I don't, I don't even know that I considered myself a feminist when I was growing up really. And it wasn't until really living and breathing it that I just, I realized how much systemic challenge we have where, you know, I think on the surface, we call it equality or equity. And the reality is that like opportunities are not equal. Privilege is not equal. Like all of these things that actually help you to succeed are not evenly distributed and, and especially money. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it is really, while I'm super grateful for the people who believed in me, and I really feel grateful that I was able to raise money when many others who deserved it probably couldn't. But at the same time, I raised less than $50 million to build a business that is now over you know, close to $2 billion in revenue. And I'm proud that we did that with very little money. But in the larger scheme of things, like it is deeply unfair that you know businesses like mine raised so little money when there were businesses out there that were raising quite literally billions of dollars. And like it would be a lot easier to hire people and to spend money on marketing and, you know, have the most beautiful website, all of those things would be a lot easier if I had a billion dollars and I had 48 million total. Right. And so like it, you know, we succeeded despite of it, maybe we even succeeded because of it, but you know, this, this is a microcosm of all the other challenges that we have. And the VC environment is wildly not diverse. Like at the time that I was raising money, I think 94%, 94, 96% of venture investors were men. And, you know, there were people who I had a venture investor who I really respected, who kind of was like, you know, at the end of the day, I love my job. It's like a passion job for me. And I get to choose one or two board seats a year. And like, I want I want board seats where I feel really you know, excited, energized and wake up thinking about it. And he's like, I just like, I can't imagine myself waking up and thinking about women's clothes. And like, it was so devastating to hear that because I'm like, so not only do I have to find someone who like, you know, believes in the numbers and believes in the business, but they also have to care about women's clothes and 94% of you are men. Like, this is so hard. And, you know, I do think at least the success story of ours and others that we've seen in the last five or 10 years have at least incited like the capitalists and venture capitalists so that they at least don't want to miss out on the opportunity. We haven't made enough progress. And, you know, I think we need to be more demanding of like, we have economic power and we need to be more demanding of the places where we are, like where we are transacting of, um, we need to ask more from our companies. We need more diversity in the companies. We need more diversity in investors, but like we need better representation and leadership. And I think that will be such a great enabler of change. Absolutely. You speak to the need for more diversity in leadership and at your, you know, at your own company, your board has been recognized as being one of the most gender diverse of any public company, which is commendable. But now it sounds like it maybe have a little bit by design, a little bit by default. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear you talk about what are some of the most notable differences and advantages of having such a gender diverse board. And I guess the second part of my question is, what are your goals and your tactics to make sure that your board is as 
racially diverse as it is diverse in terms of gender. Yeah, I mean, we're very proud of the female representation on our board, on our management team, and our company. Um, on racial representation, like I feel like we're doing good, not amazing in some dimensions. And so there's definitely work to do there. But diversity really, I do feel fortunate that like diversity really has been a cornerstone of kind of who we are and it has been since our founding. And I think, you know, just like in the abstract, um, you know, the idea that our stylists and data science team and these people with different backgrounds and people with different perspectives in life have to work together to work on creating a solution together. Like that abstraction is actually super helpful within Stitch Fix because everybody really values that like, hey, like a data scientist working on their own would never be able to come up with the solutions that they do when they work together with the stylist. And so mm -hmm. like within our company, it's actually part of our DNA that we learn from each other's differences and that um, this notion of culture add versus culture fit of like, you know, if we're just bringing somebody in who fits in with the culture, like what are they really bringing to the table? Like let's bring in somebody who adds to the culture and who brings a new perspective and brings something new. And so, you know, I, I feel really fortunate that that is part of our DNA. And so I think everybody, there's a baseline of appreciation for it. And, you know, we never, I didn't create Stitch Fix in order to have the most gender or the most diverse board or whatever award we got for that. Like that was really just a byproduct of me creating the best board for this company. And I think it is the right decision. It is the right decision to have a board that better represents your employees, that better represents your customers. And I had kind of the great fortune, honestly, of starting the company more recently. And so, you know, I think it's easy to reimagine, to kind of start and reimagine. And it's probably hard for older companies to evolve. But, you know, you look at the representation of, I think it's easy to get infuriated when we see another white man getting another CEO job of a company that sells to mostly women. And we see that over and over again. And then you look at the board and like the board is actually the one making that decision. And so, you know, I think we need to see greater representation of the places where these big decisions are being made in order to see the change that we want to see. Hey, Work Party listeners, let's take a break from today's episode for a word from one of our sponsors. We're living through unprecedented times, and it's safe to say that many of us are experiencing high levels of stress, so much so that doctors are seeing a notable increase in patients shedding abnormal amounts of hair, which they believe to be related to pandemic-induced stress. The hard truth is most women will experience hair loss at some point in their lifetime. In fact, 80% will experience by age 65. Hair loss in itself is stressful and often becomes a sensitive subject for those experiencing it due to embarrassment or even shame. Enter Vegamore, a natural and effective hair loss solution that won't negatively impact your health. Vegamore believes that hair loss shouldn't be a taboo subject and they're on a mission to destigmatize it. Their products are certified vegan, cruelty-free, clinically tested, and toxin-free. They're safe for everyday use, and even better, they actually work. Take it from the hundreds of reviews from women who've experienced life-changing results. And great news, you can subscribe to your favorite Vegamore products to ensure you'll never be without them. While the products are effective, they're not magic potions and you won't see results overnight. Consistency is key. When using Vegamore consistently and over time, you can expect to see a noticeable difference in just three months with changes as early as four weeks. Want to experience the hype for yourself? Try Vegamore right now at vegamore.com. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com. And use code PARTY20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Say goodbye to hair loss and hello to a safe and effective solution. Use the link in our description for 20% off at vegamore.com. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. 
And I want to pivot to talk a little bit about pay equity. You know, the conversation that we're now having finally uh, around pay equity is really rooted in gender bias. But you have also examined pay through the lens of race in addition to gender, which is so important. What were your findings and why were they so important to you in, in terms of how you've set goals for your business? And, and what do you think people can learn from your findings? Yeah, I mean, this this notion of pay equity is like deeply meaningful to me just because I do think that there is so much bias in even the notion of like asking people, and in California, this is now illegal, but like asking people what was their pay before they came to the job? Like you're just yep. propagating the same bias that's in the system. And even, you know, we don't do performance-based bonuses or performance-based pay. And part of that is because like, I, I'm not sure that like you can credibly say like this person is $5 better than the other person. And I think that is also wrought with bias. And so we've used this data-driven market-based approach since the beginning. It can definitely have its challenges, but you know, we believe it's a much more equitable way that reduces the bias in the system. We did a study with a third party that verified that we are paying each person dollar for dollar for the same, the same job for the same work, regardless of gender, age, race. And we did this very data-driven third-party market analysis on it that really verified, I think, that, that w- what we are doing is working. We're super proud of that work. I think there's always, you can peel it back and look at places where you have some opportunities. But I think on the surface, we're really, really proud of this work. I hope that this can be something that we see more systemically across other companies. You know, we see other companies put out pay equity data. Often they're doing things like saying, well, if you're of the same performance level, as an example, well, what, what about lower performers versus higher performers? Do you see any differences there? Like, you know, there's a lot, you can kind of get into all the data of like why there are challenges with some of the other approaches. But I think, you know, for us, it was super important to work with a third party to feel like the policies are the the way that we have been using this market-based pay approach is actually achieving the results that we want. I hope that this can be a model of what other companies start to do as well. It's so fascinating. I feel like we could spend an hour just breaking down. We totally could. <laughs> your approach to this. So we have to figure out, a, you know, have to offline about it. But um, what do you think people who aren't necessarily in your position or aren't CEOs, what can all of us do to advocate for pay equity? And why do you think this is such a critical issue for everyone to engage in? I mean, I think it's just such a critical issue because like, I think more and more what we're realizing and like, I mean, I view my own experience in this light totally. I feel like I, as I've gotten to be, I don't know, older, more experienced, see more of the world, I feel like the veil is being lifted off the world. And like all the things that I like kind of assumed with good intentions were equal and were right. And we're just like, we're taking off these layers. And I'm like, I mean, it's just shocking to me. I think how much kind of injustice exists and how much inequity exists in the system. And like the good news about this moment is that people are looking in the mirror and they want, they want to see it. And like, they, you know, they want to look themselves in the face and like, is this really the right thing to do? And so, you know, I do think we can be asking, like, if you're employed someplace, if you're interviewing someplace, you can ask about what do we know about pay equity? Have we done third party studies? How are we analyzing that? Like, how do I know that I'm getting paid fairly and equally? And what have you done to ensure that that's true? So these are all things that we can rightly challenge employers about. And I think it's something we can be holding companies 
accountable for. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about representation on boards, but part of the reason that's important is that compensation committees are looking at this data now. Like compensation mm -hmm. committees are asking their companies and saying, what do you, how are you analyzing pay equity? How do we know that people are paid equally? And so having that right representation at the board level above the company is so important. And so we can all try to hold the company that we work for accountable. We can also, like if you buy one share of a company, you're a shareholder of that company and you have a right to say something. Like we can be pushing companies to be doing more um, and we can be voting with our dollars too. Like you can often mm -hmm. look at like, who are the leaders at the top of the company that you are about to buy food from or buy makeup from or buy, you know, whatever you're going to buy from and see, does this team represent me? You know, I think all of us have power and I think all of us accumulating and exercising that power over time can create change. Absolutely. And I think it was really inspiring to see consumers really activate their power, particularly this past summer with the racial uprisings and sort of the relaunch of this, you know, by black movement, for example, um, you finally saw, you know, consumers on the internet raising up together and, and asking those questions, show us the complexion of your board. Don't just join us in a hashtag on the internet when it's convenient for you. Don't just value signal, but show us who is on your board. Show us your leadership. And um, I think folks are more now more than ever embracing their the power of their dollar, understanding the power of their dollar and acting accordingly. So you know, I, I want to pivot and talk about the pandemic, which obviously is disproportionately affecting women and people of color, many of whom are juggling full-time jobs from home along with childcare. And many women, as we know, have had to drop out of the workforce altogether. So curious to get your advice on how companies can better support their people and in particular women and parents. It's a great question and such a challenging one. And I think this is one where we really do need the help of policy. We need public policy. We need, you know, I saw that there's a universal preschool legislation that passed in Oregon, I think in this just past, in this recent election. This is another example of just the deep inequity that exists. And so, you know, I, I can't, can't have any silver bullet on this, I think as a company alone, but I do think we've done everything that, or done a lot that we can um, in this situation. And so I think, you know, for us being able to have the flexibility for the employees that can to work from home is obviously one thing that has been, I think, helpful during this time. But we also have warehouse employees who have to be in a warehouse environment. And so for that population in particular, it's super challenging. Like it's really heartbreaking that people are having to make these decisions around helping their children get educated and their job. And so we created two different funds to help with that. We have a warehouse single parent childcare crisis program, and we also have an Stitch Fix employee assistance fund. And so, you know, I think for our own employees, we were able to do what we can to take care and to make sure that we can help them to prioritize. But for me, like it just really shed light on this other deep inequity of our system, I guess. And, you know, there are places in Europe where they wouldn't allow kind of jobs to open up again until schools opened up again, which mm -hmm. was rational. And I think, you know, coming back to policy and legislation and, you know, the more we can actually have our leaders and our representation look like the people they represent, I think the more that we can help to find solutions to these issues. But, you know, at Stitch Fix, we are super proud of being a place where you can be a great parent and also be a great employee. And, you know, we led through something like we did our universal parental leave and, 
Um, I've taken two leaves as a CEO. Um, I think one of them is a public company CEO. The other one, we are still private and getting ready to go public. Um, and I've modeled that. And so we want to do what we can, but we also live in this broader ecosystem that I think we can influence over time. Hey, Work Party listeners, if you're a sucker for a good deal, hey, same, you will fall in love with today's sponsor, Tradesy. If you're not familiar, Tradesy is an online retail marketplace where women can buy and sell luxury designer fashion pieces. On Tradesy, you can save up to 90% off retail prices on Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Chanel, Louboutin, and so, so, so much more. So essentially, it empowers you to dress high-end without the luxury price tags. Shop their selection of new and pre-loved designer handbags, accessories, shoes, and clothing, and do so knowing that every item on Tradesy is authenticated. So you'll always get what you paid for or your money back. And with gifting season right around the corner, it's the perfect one-stop shop to buy quality gifts that won't break the bank. Tradesy has new with tags designer pieces and vintage treasures for way less than retail. I mean, you can literally find designer accessories for under $100 or Birkin bags. Yes, Birkin bags for half the retail price. Tradesy selections includes designer pieces at every price point. If you're passionate about the planet and sustainability, Tradesy lets you shop smarter while never sacrificing the style you want. As we've learned, the fashion industry creates tons of waste and pollution, but Tradesy believes that the most sustainable styles are the ones that already exist. Now's your time to make moves and invest in fewer, better things. And guess what? If you end up purchasing something that you don't like IRL, you don't have to keep it. Enjoy fair, simple, and stress-free returns at Tradesy. Shoppers can return most items for any reason in exchange for Tradesy credit. So visit tradesy.com and save $50 on your purchase of $200 or more with code WORK at checkout. That's tradesy.com, T-R-A-D-E-S-Y.com. And now let's get back to the show. I think many women are probably watching this right now, nodding their heads and wishing that they had a boss who was more like you. We need more female bosses who look at these issues and tackle them the way you are. But, you know, speaking to, you know, the the larger ecosystem that you, you know, occupy space in, I'd love to dive into the ways that you're really working to create a more diverse and inclusive retail space more broadly. And I'd love to hear more about your grant program called Elevate. We just launched Elevate almost two months ago now, and we are super excited about this program, really because, you know, when I come back to the notion that we all have power, like, you know, while at first it felt really daunting, we looked at our vendor base and we, um, our vendor base did not represent the diversity of the clients we want to serve. And we were pretty far from it, honestly. And so as we thought about like, how can we create change here? Like what I think can feel like a daunting problem, realizing your economic power can be one that you can feel like you're starting to solve. And so our commitment is to leverage resources, expertise, my time, the time of many on our team to promote a more equitable and diverse retail landscape. What we are doing is we are investing in the next generation um, of designers, BIPOC designers specifically, um, to try to help to increase the diversity of our vendor base and ultimately to help them to be successful in other channels as well. You know, I think at a moment where it felt very challenging to feel like, I'm sure you had these moments too, there are so many times 
this year where I felt like the problems of the world are so big and I feel so small. And I think for all of us, just being able to feel like we can be part of a solution. And I think Elevate in particular, I feel like it's a meaningful part of a solution. Like I really think, you know, if we had more vendors that better represented the people we are trying to serve, our business is going to be better. The world is going to be better. And so um, I'm just, I'm really proud and excited for the program. Yeah. And one of the things I love about, you know, listening to the way that you've led your company is that you, you built these concepts of equity into the, the bedrock of your company. And, and there are a lot of folks who are listening, who work for companies or who lead companies that are actually, you know, having a harder time finding opportunities to pivot in this regard. So I'm just curious, what, what advice do you give to other women, other leaders who are looking to kind of right-size their business for the times that we're in as it relates to these issues of, you know, social equity and pay equity and in the time of COVID, of the COVID crisis? I mean, I know that's a huge, massive question, but, but I'm curious, what lessons have you learned that you can, that you can offer folks who are listening right now? Yeah. I mean, I think firstly is really to be authentic. I think like different people are on different places in the journey. And just as an example, like we have incredibly strong gender diversity. We don't have racial diversity across all the dimensions that we want to across all parts of the business that we want to, where we want them to be. And so, you know, I think being authentic about where you are on that journey, but being really clear on what your intentions are, what your goals are. And then also just, I think that notion of like, these challenges like just feel really big. And like, I think it is really easy to feel really small, but really figuring out like, what is the power that you have? And in some cases, it might be the power of your voice. It might be the power of the influence that you have in an industry. Like it might be economic power. Like in our case, like we spend millions of dollars with vendors. And so that's where we kind of realizing that through a program like Elevate, that we could actually channel some of those dollars towards entrepreneurs that are creating the future that we believe even was actually like a great power of ours. And so I think figuring out like where the, what, what is the power that you have? And then how do you want to channel that in a positive way? And then I think importantly, just, you know, I think it is really, it's not going to be any one company's not going to, you know, kind of create the change in the world that we want to see. Like we all have to do this together. And, you know, I do think it can be, it's challenging, I think, to feel like these problems are so big, but I also, I really do have optimism of like, I really do think that like people, like people care. And like, I think people are going to care for a long time. And I think we are starting to see some real change, some systemic change. And so I don't know, like I am optimistic and, you know, I, I don't know that I could have easily said that six months ago, but I really am optimistic. I think it's easier to say that and to believe it when you're doing the work. <laughs> so <laughs> I, and I think that's inspiring for, for folks to hear, you know, but if you're sitting back and just watching, you know, and seeing the status quo can feel incredibly overwhelming to feel like, you know, there's nothing you can do to affect that change, but you so clearly are. And to that point, I can't let you go without talking about the sustainability piece because it's just so relevant. I'd love to hear you talk about what steps you're taking to create fundamental change that's rooted in a more ethical supply chain and what sort of measurable actions are you putting in place to, to create a healthier planet? Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question. And, um, and to be really authentic about where we are, I think we have a lot of pride and confidence in some of the things that we've done so far at the same time, like in terms of doing the work, like this is the place where I think we have a lot of work to do over the next, you know, five or 10 years. And 
where I really want to be a leader in this space. And, you know, I think we have the possibility and potential of doing that, um, but we still have a lot of work to do, I would say. You know, sustainability and equity are really the foundation of our social impact strategy. And when we when we think about sustainability, there are some parts of our business that inherently are more sustainable that give us pride. Of First and foremost, when we have done, we worked with a third party to understand our carbon footprint. And actually one of the terrible things that we do as retailers to the planet is heat and cool these huge stores. And so it's mm. very interesting. I mean, just by nature of being e-commerce and having centralized shipping, shipping and, you know, we're shipping kind of small packages and big trucks. And like that, that element of the supply chain is actually much, much, much like an order of magnitude more sustainable than actually heating and cooling these large stores where not that much mm. money transacts. And so as much as it is heartbreaking to see kind of brick and mortar store retail struggle, it's actually a good thing for the planet. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's it's a very kind of interesting transformation that's happening that I do think more e-commerce is gonna be a better thing. But in terms of an, our own business model, like our the fundamental core of our business is to be able to buy the right products and get it to the right people. And we don't sell things 70% off. Like we're not a fast fashion company. You know, we really are in this mode of like, we only wanna buy what we know is gonna have a happy home. And so there's a, there's a notion of sustainability that's embedded in our model. And I do think that, you know, we, we are really, most of our inventory is inventory that can span many seasons and that people buy thoughtfully. You know, after the pandemic, I think people may buy less clothes permanently, honestly. Like we are all living with our things. Like we all now know what are the things we really love and what are the things maybe we regret. And so, you know, I, if people are moving to a world where they're going to buy one or two pairs of jeans a year and they're not going to buy six, like that's actually a better world for us because people really want the jeans that fit them, the ones that are right for them, the ones that are really perfect for, for what they want. And that's actually what our capability is. Our business model, I think, is already rooted in this notion of kind of making the most of what we have. And then lastly, I think the goal that we have that we've shared is that we have um, we have a goal to have 100% of our, our core materials, which is really cotton, polyester, and viscose in our private label products, our exclusive brands, um, to be um, sustainably sourced by 2025. And so I think that's mm -hmm. one thing that we can do in our business today. I think there's so much more that we can do here that's super interesting. I think there's a lot of interesting technology around recycling. I think there's a lot of really interesting opportunity around thinking about secondhand and ways to give the garments that we create on this planet more life. So, you know, my hope is that we'll have more to more to come and more to share on this topic. But but you know, we're really proud of our model and that our model is relatively more sustainable, but also we're super committed to doing the work and to making more change in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I really commend you for creating this measurable metric and, and putting it out there, being brave enough to, to set a goal and, and to work towards it and to invite your customer base to hold you accountable. I think that's really the only way that we can ensure that there will be measurable change across any number of these issues. Um, so I really, I really commend you for that. Now, I know you've said that you are optimistic about you know, your company's ability to, to make these changes that are necessary and also for us as a country to move in a better direction. But on those days when you aren't as optimistic um, or aren't as inspired or motivated, what keeps you going on your most challenging days? 
I mean, honestly, like it is that challenge. Like I think just remembering and appreciating all of the hardship that we went through, like in a weird way, it's so uplifting for me. I think connecting to our clients, like one of the things that I love about Stitch Fix is I can literally, like I could, I could style a fix right now. Like I can just like connect with a client every single day. And to me, I think that's just really inspiring to be able to know that we are impacting the lives of individual people every day. I, I think it can be, it certainly like this year has been challenging and there's been a lot that, that has been hard about it. But the weird thing is like in retrospect, those things that were hard are kind of the things that bind us. And, yeah. you know, as we were kind of talking about earlier in the conversation, like, this COVID thing has been crazy and all of our lives have been turned upside down, but it isn't, it's just going to be the shared experience where like years from now, we're going to look back and tell our grandkids and our great grandkids and whatever about this time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting because the hard times, they're so hard, but I think they're also the times that create and mold and you know, they kind of make you who you are. And so it's weird to say that I look back on the hard times when I'm having a hard time, but there's a part mm -hmm. of it that just like, you know, it's a humbling reminder that like, we can do this. Yes. I love what Glennon Doyle always says that I hold on to and I've repeated to myself many times during this pandemic is we can do hard things. Exactly. <laughs> and, so true. exactly. and I love what you're saying, which is, and those hard things are what bind us. So on that note, Katrina, you are a gem. Thank you so much for sharing your gems with, with me and with all of the women who are watching today. And to all of you ladies who are taking the time to, to, to learn from Katrina and to be inspired um, and to invest in yourself, thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you, Elaine. Bye, everyone. For more inspiring conversations like this one, subscribe to Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. Work Party.